Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, April 23rd, 2019. I am Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. We are on Tuesday of the final week of the 2018-2019 Broadway season. That means, as we talked about yesterday, this morning at 11 a.m. New York time, we have the 69th Annual Outer Critics Circle Award nominations to be presented by Julie Halston and Michael Yuri. Interestingly enough, she has something to do later that night. Uh, and Michael Yuri's actually hosting a different awards show. So it's uh, interesting choices there. Um, but Julie Halston is going to be opening a new Broadway show, Tootsie, later tonight uh, over at the Marquee Theater. So we'll have all of the information about the nominations and the reviews for Tootsie on tomorrow's show. So just wanted to flag those for you. Uh, we will be streaming the Outer Critics nominations uh on Broadway World exclusively at 11 a.m. if you want to check those out. Um, before we get to the news of the day, James, I, I did want to send out a hearty congratulations to Jeremy Jordan and Ashley Spencer. Jeremy announced, uh, I think on Sunday, that he was going to have to duck out of Waitress for about a week. Didn't say why, just said it was a family thing. Turns out his wife, Ashley Spencer, Broadway vet in her own right, gave birth to their first child yesterday, uh, Clara Eloise. Uh, had some nice pictures uh, on the Instagram. So congratulations to Jeremy and to Ashley. Very happy for both of them. Wow. That's awesome. I love yeah. that. They kept it a complete secret from uh, the public. Uh, didn't didn't make that known. Ashley hasn't been on Instagram since the fall, uh, which kind of uh, makes sense now. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, but yeah, very happy for both of them and uh, glad that um, – I'm glad that they're all together in the same city after Jeremy was working for so many years out in Vancouver. So we'll bring the uh, results of the OCC, or can we call it the OC? Um, we can call it whatever you want, yeah. Okay, excellent. Halston and Yuri making it happen, 11 a.m. Pretty early for uh, Broadway folks, but uh, okay. All right, first up in the news. Reviews are in for Roundabout's revival of All My Sons. Yeah, James, last night over at the American Airlines Theater, the Roundabout Theater Company opened their latest revival of Arthur Miller's classic All My Sons, directed by Jack O'Brien, who stepped in to the production uh, a little later than normal, but fairly early in terms of the uh, pre-production process. It, uh, it stars uh, Annette Benning, Tracy Letts, Benjamin Walker, Francesca Capra uh, Capranini, Hampton Fluker, and more, uh, and James this is one of those shows, as we talked about yesterday, flying underneath the radar because of so much else going on. And it's, eh, it's another Arthur Miller revival. Eh, we, we know what this is going to be. Uh, we might want to send out a warning that this one might upset a lot of Tony predictions uh, because these reviews, at least so far, we're recording at about a quarter after nine. Not all of them are in, but so far – they're pretty much all raves, James, um, and not just like, hey, this is a good show with good people, like legit raves. Let's start with Matt Winman from AM New York, who gave the show three and a half out of four stars, writing, quote, this revival gets to the heart of Miller's writing and brings out increasingly intense and layered performances, making for highly compelling and confrontational theater. Period costumes and extensive exterior set design and video projections between scenes further enrich a fine performance. Uh, Elizabeth Bradley. Writing for Broadway.News said, quote, simultaneously a valentine to the kind of naturalism that the American theater does best 
and a reminder that the virtues of the proverbial well-made play, when impeccably realized, are never passe, this is a deeply moving and finely wrought production. Apart from the kudos owed, owed to O'Brien, Jack O'Brien, the director, the other factor that sets this iteration apart is the utterly transcendent performance by Benning as Kate, the troubled matriarch of the Keller family. Uh, speaking of uh, Benning and her co-stars, Frank Schick of the Ho- Frank Sheck of the Hollywood Reporter uh, said, "Quote: Let's brings a simmering, low-key tension to Joe, whose casual ability to lie is masked by his seemingly jovi- seeming joviality and flirtatious manner. The actor's subtle underplaying makes his character's tragic fate all the more shocking." Benning, making her first Broadway appearance in over 30 years, movingly conveys Kate's pathetic refusal to admit the truth about her lost son, as well as the steeliness that enables her to become complicit in her husband's lies. And Walker uses his imposing physicality to ironic effect in his portrayal of Chris, terrified to reveal his feelings to the woman he's loved for years and emotionally shattered by the knowledge of his father's moral degradation. Now, again, I told you that not all the reviews were out. If uh, whoever writes the review for The Grey Lady or even Sarah Holdren or someone like that uh, gives a startlingly uh, dis, uh, dissimilar review, we'll let you know tomorrow. But, James, I, I don't see how, based off of these reviews and some others I didn't quote, uh, that that's going to be possible. This just seems like one of those incredibly well done classics that probably doesn't get all the, you know, buzz because it's a fairly straightforward interpretation. But I would not be surprised if a lot of these people beloved in theater circles get a lot of nominations. And then this show itself, a beloved play, classic American play might not all of a sudden become the odds on favorite to win the best uh, revival of a play for the uh, Tony Awards coming up here in a month and a half. I don't disagree with anything you've just said there. That is uh, certainly we haven't seen it yet, and we're going to talk about it on this week on Broadway on Sunday. But uh, I'm now all excited to see it. You know, towards the end of this, towards the end of the season, it's sort of like uh, New York City Marathon. You know, they have that thing, Heartbreak (laughs) Hill. Do you Mm -hmm. know Heartbreak Hill? You know, I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Towards the end of the race is just a little small minor upgrade, and that's where it gets you. But uh, all my sons making me get my second wind here. I'm excited (laughs) about that. Yeah, like I've seen all my sons enough. Like when in this theoretical trip that I might be taking uh, after the Tonys. I wasn't planning on seeing this because I've I've seen all my sons. I've seen a couple different productions. Like I don't need to see this one too, but maybe I do. Maybe. Maybe. Hmm. First rule of Broadway radio is you don't talk about Broadway radio. (laughs) You can't. You can't make inside jokes from our text messages on the show, James. That makes no sense to anybody else, and I couldn't even explain it coherently as to how we got to Broadway radio as Fight Club. I don't know what you mean. All right. What do we have in last week's Broadway grosses? Okay. Uh, the holidays did not seem to hurt the main stems box office last week, James, as an influx of tourists over some late spring breaks for schools boosted Broadway's bottom line up 15.82% last week, adding nearly $5.5 million to the weekly coffers. The receipts totaled $40,219,790, the highest total since Thanksgiving of last year. 
In total, 29 of Broadway's 36 shows saw week-over-week gains, some of which used the holiday to play nine shows and really bumped up their grosses. The Lion King was one of those that had nine performances and added more than $904,000. Wicked was over $876K. Aladdin was up $623,000. And Frozen rose over $492,000. Now, Despite the Lion King's extra show and over $904,000 increase, it still couldn't pass Hamilton, who only (laughs) did its standard eight shows, although it was within $150,000. The folks over at the Richard Rogers pulled in $3,299,435, while Simba and company did $3,149,674. Wicked, Aladdin, and Cursed Child wore all above $2 million, followed by Frozen, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Phantom of the Opera, Dear Evan Hansen, Ain't Too Proud, Mean Girls, The Book of Mormon, Come From Away, and Network, of course, the latter in just seven performances. The bottom six shows for the week were all plays. Gary dipped during its opening week to just above 300 k Moving up the ladder from there was Inc., Hillary and Clinton, What the Constitution Means to Me, All My Sons, and The Ferryman. Also opening last week was Hadestown, but despite that fact, it actually grew a fairly substantial $88,000 to $776,000. I would imagine that that number will be going up as Ticketmaster's dynamic pricing really seemed to kick in following the reviews. Uh, Reports of ticket prices shooting up, James, you mentioned it uh, as well. Um, So I would imagine that Hadestown, which was already at 85.5% of its gross potential, will be climbing that number higher uh, higher uh, here in the coming weeks. Beautiful was the lowest grossing musical, but it was at 588000 which isn't a terrible number for that show, which has long since recouped. Uh, then came Oklahoma at 605000 and while that is certainly lower when compared to Hamilton and Wicked and shows like that, it's actually over 81% of the show's gross potential, which I would imagine will only go up when it gets a ton of Tony nominations next week. Uh, so that's that's pretty interesting that despite how divisive the reviews and word of mouth they, uh, have been on this show, it's doing pretty well and probably about as well as you could have hoped uh, for that show. Now, taking a look at our bubble shows, they all did fairly well. The Prom, who coincidentally yesterday announced that there will be a YA novel adaptation of the uh, the Broadway musical released this fall, was up to 660000 Be More Chill rose a whopping 173000 to 728k, And then Cher, Beetlejuice, Pretty Woman, Waitress, My Fair Lady, Tootsie, and King Kong were all between 791000 and 986000 So solid weeks for all of them as well. So, James, it just seems like the rising tides from this holiday spring breakish week uh, did seem to lift almost all of the votes last week. I tell you, uh, do you think that there's any anybody over at Hamilton, you know, calculating whether they needed to add that ninth show or not? I mean, Lion King came really close there. No, I don't think they care. Yeah, I don't think they care either. No, no. <laughs> I mean, not in the least. All right. What do we have in the Broadway show and casting news? Well, James, I got to admit, it it was a weird day in Broadway show and casting news yesterday. Um, The first story is great. The next two stories are like, huh, did not see that one coming. So the first one that's great and extremely exciting um, was the fact that Charles Randolph Wright's play with music, which is by Nona Hendricks, 
uh, called Blue will make its Broadway debut next spring under the direction of Felicia Rashad. She actually starred in the 2000. What did I say? You said Felicia, but Peter Felicia had a discussion with Felicia Rashad about the pronunciation of names. I've I've never heard it as anything other than Felicia Rashad. So you're saying it's Felicia like Peter's last name? Yeah. I think uh, I'm going to have to check with Peter again, but I'm pretty sure that that – because there was the no, my name is Felicia, no, my name is Felicia type of thing <laughs> that happened. I'm just going to call her Rashad until we get uh, confirmation of this, but I okay. will uh, defer to Peter uh, on these naming things. But Rashad starred in the 2000 Arena Stage world premiere of Blue and the 2001 New York premiere from Roundabout Off-Broadway. This will be Rashad's Broadway directing debut, and Blue explores the complexities of identity and trust behind the carefully constructed facade of the Clarks, a socially prominent family that is struggling with the legacy and pitfalls of their own good fortune infused with a searing jazz and soul score blue celebrates the love and spirit of a family coming to terms with itself venue cast and additional creative team details will be quote announced shortly next james uh we got our next in residence participant announced yesterday (laughs) and it is none other than the 92 year old living legend mel brooks one of the most influential voices in the history of comedy and three-time Tony winner behind uh, the producers will play the Lunt Fontan Theater for just two performances on June 17th and 18th. Now, James, I imagine that tickets will be incredibly pricey, um, but they're still going to sell out. But I just, I mean, look, when we first started hearing rumors about this in-residence thing, you know, Live Nation, uh, CAA was going to be involved at that point, not anymore, um, but... Folks like Morrissey and Yanni and Regina Spector and Chris Angel and Mel Brooks weren't exactly who we were led <laughs> to believe were going to be headlining these things. All of them, I think, except for maybe Regina Spector, I, I expect to sell out um, their very limited runs. They're all names that have fans, but like they were throwing out names like Beyonce and Ariana Grande and Lady Gaga. Like all of these people are great and have their their value, but like. This is not what I was expecting. Was it, is this surprising at all to you, James? It's shocking to me. I mean, you know, <laughs> Madonna's got a new album. I can't we bring her into there seriously for, <laughs> for a Q and A? Yeah, yeah. Like it's just weird. Yeah, uh, and you know, uh, yeah, Mel Brooks. Is he gonna? tap dance and play guitar what's he gonna <laughs> i was do? just gonna say he's gonna he's gonna do a soft shoe is what he's gonna do uh, but no i like is he gonna be by himself is he gonna have other people are they gonna do sketches is he gonna do stand-up i like I gotta imagine it's gonna be a q a type of thing with you know somebody like a a ben brantley or somebody's gonna sit there and talk to i don't know uh you know what i want you what? know what i want more than anything is i want mel brooks to sit down and watch Jeopardy with Carl Reiner. I was going to say Rob Reiner should interview him. That's really, would be a good one. Yeah. I mean, literally, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner watch Jeopardy together every day. Well, especially with this guy on this Jeopardy run, the gambler out of Vegas. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. I haven't watched it, but I've heard. Yeah, pretty exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I guess this next bit of news is 
I guess, exciting as well. Um, but yesterday, Waitress announced that former Dear Evan Hansen star Noah Galvin would be taking over the role of Ogie beginning on next Monday, the 29th of April. And he'd be joined by Caitlin Houlihan, who returns to the role of Dawn currently. Uh, uh, she uh, she had played the role previously. Uh, current Ogie and Dawn, Eddie Jemison and Lene Klingeman will play their final performances on the 28th, which is Sunday. Now, James, the 24-year-old Galvin reads much younger than the 55-year-old Jemison, whom he is replacing. But I guess the role of Ogie is, is open to all sorts of interpretations, I guess. Hmm. Uh, I guess so. You know, there's some smart people over there running Waitress. <laughs> so uh, I guess we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, I, uh, yeah just a, a little strange. He reads younger. I think at some point they referenced the fact that he might be 31. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's true, but uh, I, I, that, that sticks in my mind, but it, it seems like uh, a weird casting choice to me. Yeah. If we're going to do that thing, we should talk about it after the 20 minute mark. So what do we have in other news? Okay. So every year, James, this is like our fourth year yeah. of doing this. When we talk about the fact that like the next like super interesting, creative, artistically boundary pushing Broadway shows are almost always going to be able to trace the roots back to a couple of different places. And one of those places is almost always Vassar and New York stage and films powerhouse season. Well, yesterday, the 35th season of shows and readings were announced. Uh, I'm not going to list everything, but just some of the bigger ones that they're doing. They'll include productions of Harrison David Rivers is the bandaged bandaged place. Beth Henley's lightning or the unbuttoning and the musical Annie Salem, an American tale, which will feature a book by Rachel Chavkin musical by Heather Christian and a pay, and the pair of Chavkin and Christian collaborated on the lyrics. Chavkin will direct. Here's the description of that one. James, uh, an otherworldly journey into the jagged heart of rust belt, Ohio, where blue monkeys play in the wreckage of post industrial America and where high school school boy, Jack scan is in love with the prettiest girl in town. Annie Salem is based on the novel of the same name by Mac Wellman. We will also get the musical The Elementary Space Time Show by Cesar Alvarez and Emily Orling, as well as Goddess, which is conce conceived by Sahim Ali, music and lyrics by Michael Thurber, and a book by Jocelyn Bayo. And uh, included in their series of readings, James, will be Becca Brunstetter and Ingrid Michelson's stage adaptation of the notebook for the first time ever seen on stage. Uh, I can't wait to hear more about these shows and the casting James, because these are, like we said, a year, usually two or three years away from these shows, making it to New York and being major, major factors in some season, whether that's off Broadway or on Broadway. Uh, the season uh, at Vassar will run from June 27th through July 27th. Next up, the 2019 John Lennon biopic, which I didn't realize was a thing called Nowhere Boy, has been optioned for a stage adaptation by producers that I've never heard of. Um, and finally, we got a great article about a producer that I have heard of, Eva Eva Price. The profile was in Forbes and written by Lee Seymour. It is a great conversation. It includes the fact that last year, Eva Price scheduled her own brain surgery so that it wouldn't conflict with a show of hers closing, which was Jagged Little Pill uh, in Cambridge. 
and another show that she's producing beginning rehearsals. That was Sexy Oklahoma at uh, at St. Anne's Warehouse. Uh, it's a great read about a well-respected and well-liked forward-thinking producer. So we'll have a link in the show notes uh, if you want to check that out. And finally, a few minutes ago, you might have heard my uh, text message bing. That was our friend Oliver Henry Roth who tweeted me and or texted me and said, I, uh, I love Beetlejuice. <laughs> so uh, a regular listener knew about our conversations. He is now the third person of very disparate theater backgrounds, but all theater professionals who has texted me and said essentially the exact same thing. So minds are being blown across New York City right now. Uh, it's coming around the outside turn and it's a horse race. Settle down. S- settle, s- settle down here. <laughs> like, like Beetlejuice is not overtaking Hades Town for best musical. It's not. Well, I, I was wondering if Oklahoma is going to beat all my sons. They're not going to be in the same category, but uh, don't they combine uh, the category if the uh, if they don't they have enough can, people? They can, uh, but I'm gonna. This is not like anything official. I'm just saying I I'm pretty sure that they're going to do a category for just Oklahoma and Kiss Me Kate. I would be shocked if they don't. Hmm. All right, Matt. Why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PWWMatt. Hey, wait, how come Oliver doesn't text me? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> My name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Oliver, hit me up. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us, and... Matt and I? Are we Matt and I? Yes. Matt and I will be back and talk with you tomorrow. I am am so shocked.